USC took care of Stanford in the Pac-12 title game. They are the Pac-12 champions for the first time since the conference split into divisions. A team from the South has won the Pac-12 title. But that wasn't all that happened. We also got Chip Kelly, UCLA, which I think we talked about last time. We also uh, have Jonathan Smith to Oregon State, which we talked about last time. We have Oregon, Willie Taggart. Uh-oh, he gone. We got Mike Leach. We got, I don't know what's happening. We got coaches left and right. We're going to talk about all that more in this week's Eligible Receivers. He's Eric Morin. Let's start the show. Hello, blog fans. Well, you work all week on trying to identify who the eligible receivers are. This is Eligible Receivers, the show where we review last week's Pac-12 action, pick next week's Pac-12 games against the spread, and keep track of how we're doing on our picks over the course of the season. On this show, only one game to recap, and we will get out of the... Let's just get that guy out of the way. USC and Stanford, Pac-12 title game. A game where the Trojans were favored by three and a half. Uh, Stanford able to get inside the number, and Stanford, honestly, were in position to win this game. But USC did what they needed to do uh, and end up being three-point winners. Uh, were you able to watch any of this guy? No, of course not, because it was on Friday night. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, I was like kind of like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if your house is like my house, but like uh, on Fridays at my house, I've realized that like everybody is, everybody is dead by the, you know, at the end of the week for some reason. Like, it's just like... Yeah grueling to get through to friday and then like like my my two kids are emotional wrecks on friday uh my wife can barely stay awake until eight fifteen, you know and it's like there's a big damn hassle but i was you know i was watching the game because i'm a dutiful pac-12 fan and i'm sitting there you know i like have it up on the tablet as i'm like cleaning the kitchen and stuff like that and i see stanford uh had a chance I mean, they they were going for it on a goal to go situation late in the second half and got stoned. They got stoned. They put Stanford's big package in the most reliable. We can get a yard and a half unit, maybe in the nation. Got stoned by USC, and then, uh, you know, USC went down and drove it ninety eight yards. And you're thinking, well, heck, the game's over. They got a ten point lead, but Stanford gets it right back. You know, they they drive down the field. KJ Gostello looked like he's injured, and then all of a sudden he's floating passes all over to those tall receivers. It ended up being a really exciting game down the stretch. Stanford's offense is so weird, man. It's it's so slow and methodical until I mean, unless Bryce Love rips off a huge run, it's just it's just painful to watch. Um, but it works sometimes in in weird ways, and this is this was a game where you kind of figured that. USC, if their defense showed up, might be able to just shut them down and, and they would struggle to score at all. But they, they moved the ball okay and, and like they hung in and their defense is for real. And Stanford, you know, and, and uh, USC was not able to, you know, to really put the game away until, I mean, until the very, very end. The, the, the whole game was in doubt. You know, the outcome was in doubt. It's just, it's just a weird – I just don't understand. Stanford's very hard to, like, wrap your head around when you, when you look at it in the aggregate. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I mean, especially that 
that last drive because you think USC has them right where they right where they want them, and then you know Stanford seventy five plus yards away from the end zone, and the announcers for the first two thirds of the drive were saying KJ Costello needs to take himself out of the game because he had like hurt his thumb or something like that, you know, and like yeah. they yeah. didn't know if he could throw, and he was just floating these balls up, you know, seven and a half feet off the ground to uh, our Sega white side and then their uh, tall tight ends. And it, it was just working. Yeah. And it's like you said, like sometimes they look like they can't move the ball for shit. And then other times uh, often when they need it, you know, they're, they're able to do it. I mean, and that's kind of plotting Stanford and that's why they look like, you know, they can lose to mediocre teams and they can beat anybody. And they, they almost beat a, you know, a solid USC team in this game. But, you know, I think USC, a deserving conference champion this year. I think they were, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, probably the best team in the conference. Yeah, they play 12 weeks in a row. They end up with 10 wins, all 10 wins against um, Power 5 schools or, or whatever, FBS schools. I think they're one of the only teams in the country that can say that. You know, there are two losses, one on a Friday night at WSU with three of their offensive linemen out. Um, and WSU's a, you know, good program right now. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. Those Friday night games are really tough. And then they're other loss was, um, you know, USC, which or uh, it was Notre Dame, excuse me, which, you know, they certainly didn't look very good in that game. But Notre Dame is another top 20 team. So, you know, I, honestly, the, towards the end, some of the, you know, some of the, the, the college football pundits, you know, when, when the, the playoff committee was looking at Ohio State and Alabama was were kind of saying, and, you know, USC should probably be, getting at least a little consideration given their resume. Um, but ultimately they weren't really that close, you know, they weren't really that close to being considered. Um, but Pac-12 champions, like you said, first time a South division team has won the conference. And um, based on what's happening in the South division right now, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't uh, be the representative from that side uh, of the conference for many years to come. Yeah, and uh, let's get into that. I think something we hadn't talked about, and I didn't mention in the opening, uh, 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 well, I guess let's wrap the picks, is that uh, you and I both had USC. What a fitting end, you know, where uh, I end up finishing the year at 500. You end up finishing three games, or yeah, three games under 500. So we really need some magic in the bowl season. Uh, Dirty Worm. Also on USC, he takes the L. Also, we really, uh, we really came down the stretch poorly. Yeah, <laughs> as a group, I mean that was just just poor work. But uh, with the regular season and conference championship down in the bag, Worm, where he's been for you know most of the season at this point, uh, finishes up at forty eight and forty three. He takes that. So uh, I guess I should st- start picking non Pac twelve teams because he has put the 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 word out that he's taken all Pac-12 teams regardless of line in the bowl games here. But before we get to that, uh, I'm trying to think what co- the the big coaching thing I wanted to talk about, which you alluded to, being the South being moderately in disarray, Herm Edwards at Arizona State. You had mentioned this last week when we were talking about it, because I guess, I guess this was like already in, in the news uh, as a rumor, and I didn't even acknowledge it because I, I thought – you must be joking because why would this guy has not this, I don't think he's coached any kind of football for almost a decade. And I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's ever coached. Did he ever coach college? Yeah. In the eighties, in the 1980s, in the 1980s. Now 
That's a that's some time ago. It is. Like really. You're talking about no internet, no cell phones. The the nation looks to Bill Cosby to, for moral guidance. Yeah, it's not it's not recent times, man. And and if you watch the opening um, press conference that he had, it wasn't clear that he knew that Arizona State's mascot was the Sun Devils. Um, I don't know if you saw that clip or not. Oh, I, I did. Was... Yeah, that was uh, that was bizarre. Yeah, that one reporter introduced himself as being from Devil's Digest, and Herm Edwards was like, "Whoa, now, Devil, look out!" Yeah, he's right? like, "He's like, where's that?" He's like, "Well, it's from right here in Tempe." He's like, "Devils, you can keep that away from me. I'm a Catholic." And it's like, no, no, really, I cover I cover this team. I'm gonna I'm gonna be here all the time. Yeah. You're like, like you you may be surprised to find yourself as one of the nation's most recognizable devils. Yeah, uh, the foremost devil <laughs> in the United States at this stage in the game would probably be you. Like <laughs> yeah. You're making quite a few headlines with this hire and and now you are the Sun Devils head coach. Yeah. You're, you're the devil. Like Yeah. You're, now, yeah, you know, let's take our devil classic and somehow let's imagine a hotter devil. You're that one. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw the clip that came out today of him walking around the athletic building introducing himself to people. It included uh, an interaction with someone who brought him a Herm Edwards jersey, and he was flabbergasted by this jersey. Did you see that? I did see that, yeah. Thought it was a girl's jersey at first. Couldn't believe that it was a regular good old-fashioned college uh, jersey. And they had to explain to him that technology, since the 1980s, had improved. And they now have stretchy um, you know, fabric. And so, yes, that was, in fact, a game day jersey. No, it was not a woman's jersey. And um, I was thinking the whole time when I'm watching this like video, like, Shouldn't you be out recruiting? I mean, all the other coaches in this conference <laughs> I know are out recruiting. I see hundreds of pictures every day on Twitter of recruits, you know, with like, thank Coach Kelly for stopping by from UCLA and thank Coach Peterson from Washington for stopping by. And, you know, and, and one after the other of these recruits are, you know, either position coaches or head coaches are coming to their house for in-home visits. And Herm Edwards is like, Sitting in his office making fun of their own his own jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can imagine him going to the AD or whoever his boss says and be like, "How how are we looking? Uh, what kind of what kind of budget we got for free agents this year?" Yeah, free agents. How's that going? <laughs> yeah, and, zero, so zero. You expect me to do what? One of their four star uh, recruits decommitted. I wonder if he even knows what that means. I wonder if he like again went like called up like. You know, the athletic department legal counsel was like, you're going after him. Can't do that. See, collective bargaining doesn't allow it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder, like, what, like, how many words of that sentence he needs explained to him? Stars. Yeah. 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 Pretty phenomenal. Pretty phenomenal hire. The whole thing just stinks to high heaven, given that the athletic director used to be his agent. Uh, I, I don't get it at all. But you know what? I don't have to get it at all. It's fine. I don't. I don't root for Arizona State. So, um, more power to them. Yeah, I mean that team. That team is a you know, 
who the hell knows, I guess. But he re- he really seems like he honestly doesn't know what's going on. So yeah, no, he and and he thinks it's pretty funny that he doesn't like. <laughs> I mean, at, as do I, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm in on the joke with him. Like I, I'll, I'm laughing with you, Herm. Yeah. And then uh, the other big coaching news, bigger coaching news, I'd say, is uh, Willie Taggart from Oregon. After 300 and you know, I think over the course of the last 365 days, at one point last week, there, or I guess let's say it like this: over a 365 day period, starting with the day that he left Oregon to take the Florida State job. In that period, he had been the coach at three different schools where he had been the coach at South Florida or wherever he was, then Oregon, and then now Florida State. So yep. he's gone. Uh, I believe, I, I think at la- last I checked, and I haven't been keeping too tight of tabs on it, but certainly tighter than I deserve to, that Oregon had lost, I think, three commits from their vaunted recruiting class. That That's a little bit in tatters right now. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Oregon uh, had – you know, there was a way to spin their season is very positive. You know, I mean, like, I think the spin from Oregon was, yeah, they went 7-5, and five, but they lost. They didn't have the air bear for uh, five of those games, and I think they went 1-4 and four during that period. And the, the spin from Oregon was, well, if we would have had them, we would have picked up another couple of those games. Now, if you look at the schedule, I mean, they really, really lost those games. So maybe that's optimistic, but... You know, there were certain, I mean, you certainly say job done for Willie Taggart in one year at Oregon. You know, if like you go back and say that's a successful year, uh, we got bowl eligible, we improved. The defense dramatically improved. But now they're back to square one all of a sudden. Yeah, I think Oregon is is on an incredibly similar trajectory to Washington. Um, When Washington had it rolling in the early 90s, they had. Don James, they had continuity, they had an identity, they had or a national brand. They won major bowl games with regularity. And when Don James left, they tried to keep that going for a little while with the Lambright hire. Yep. And that didn't work out for them, you know, and, and for us, for them, I don't know. I wasn't a Husky yet, so for them, we'll say. Yeah. Uh, I, I washed my hands of that. Um, and well, when we say didn't work out, it meant they were winning between like seven and nine games a year. Unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so then they went with the, the sexy new coach on the market, which was Rick Neuheisel at the time they gave him a million dollar a year contract. He was only the third coach in the NCAA. Believe that shit. Um, (laughs) to be making seven figures at the time. Oh, he Uh, he was hot. Yeah, he was, and he came in, and you know what? To be fair, he had a lot of success in Washington. I, I, people who who hammer on Newhouse, I don't, I don't fully understand because he did go eleven and one and win a Rose Bowl, so, um, you know that he did do pretty well. But he was constantly looking around. He was interviewing with Notre Dame every other day. It seemed like, um, you know, or interviewing at Texas, and you know, he was never fully committed to being the coach at Washington, he was fully committed to being Rick Neuheisel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then he left. And when he left the, you know, it was bad. And the Washington tried to regain some of its old, you know, tap back into it, the old guard with the Gilbertson hire that didn't, you know, they basically just got frenetic and, and incoherent with their strategy and they, they cratered their program. 
Yep. And it, yeah. it took a long ass time to get back to where Peterson has rebuilt the program to what it once was. And I think you can say he's rebuilt it now. It's two years in a row. Hardest thing to do after your initial success is to back it up. Two years in a row now in major bowl games. Uh, you know, good quality talent coming back next year. Um, no reason to believe they won't be a really good team next year, too. So it is back under Peterson, but to, to bring this back around to Oregon, they're doing the exact same thing. And that was exactly what Willie Taggart, the Willie Taggart hire was all about. It was about a shortcut back to being elite. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a fantastic recruiter. He can recruit the state of Florida. He's good at coaching offense, which is what Oregon's calling card has always been. And he hired Jim Levitt to coach the defense. So that side of the ball was taken care of just like, Chip Kelly, you know, and Nick Aliotti um, in the good old days. And the problem was is that Willie Taggart was a hired gun. He was not connected to the Oregon program really in any meaningful way prior to being hired. And while he did a good job, I think you're right. I mean, I I think you can also look at his season in a light where it it isn't that great. Seven and five, you know, got absolutely crushed by their their major North Division opponents. but he, he was a hired gun, and he's a Florida guy. And I, I don't blame Willie Taggart for taking the Florida State. I mean, I think, I think the way he did it was kind of, you know, chintzy. But, you know, Willie Taggart, you know, for the first, let's be honest, he's a, you know, as an African-American head coach, that guy faces obstacles that most head coaches, you know, would not. And so for him to be able to ascend to where he has by a 41 in the profession and, you know, be able to take a job like Florida State, that's his dream job, more power to him you know it's not illegal for him to do it uh coaches can jump schools whereas players can't um tip my hat to him but if you're oregon you know you got to think about this next hire pretty carefully yep i i agree with that and i i'm not even sure where they go i've seen a few names like what what uh you know i mean i think a good premise would be to go what here's what i always liked about the oregon teams when they were running is that like i felt like they always did the thing that scared you uh so if i'm washington which i am what would uh worry me about oregon is if they were able to first of all if they were able to get like yeah some kind of like somehow retain levitt to coach the defense, which doesn't look like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I, I've, it seems like he's tweeted that he wants to be a head coach. I, th- I think he's one of those guys that uh, defensive coordinator really suits him. And he was getting paid a million and a half dollars to do it. I think if you can keep him, that scares me. If you can somehow pry Bo Baldwin away from Cal to coordinate the offense, I'm scared of that. Uh, and if you can somehow, I mean, and I, I suppose on the head coaching front, I'm not sure what it seems like they can only make mistakes at this point or tread water. Like I, I'm not, I mean, I guess maybe Kevin Sumlin would be a good hire for them because he's shown the ability to win in the sec. You know, it wasn't ever as good as it was his first year with Johnny Manziel, but still winning coach in the sec, uh, youngish, you know, like I think yeah. he, he'd be good, but yeah, I don't know. I mean like Justin Wilcox, Hasn't really shown anything, even though he's an Oregon guy. That I mean, to me, I've always, you know, I've, uh, I, I, what I liked about Justin Wilcox is that he looks right. He's like a, a young guy, uh, handsome guy, 
seems like he'd be a good head coach. I I think he's always been overrated defensively. Yeah, I think I think the issue is if there were two words that describe <coughs> at its peak, in my mind, it it would be continuity and innovation. Right? Yeah. You would add got you know, Rich Brooks to Bilotti and and the, the coordinators like Aliotti and uh, the position coaches like Don Pelham and uh, you know offensive coordinator like uh, Helfrich, uh, all there for long, long periods of time. And to that mix of continuity, guys who really understood the program, you added innovation. Chip Kelly, you know, uh, a, a transcendent offensive mind, yeah, who was able to come in and take. The, the 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 foundation that you had laid and take it to the next level and then innovation in uniforms and in equipment and facilities and recruiting that when you added those pieces to what Chip Kelly was doing the talent he was able to get with that other innovate you know with, you know when you added it all together that was that was it you know that was the that was what you had going and as you've mentioned with the candidates that they have right now, none of them seem right. You know what I mean? Like Wilcox is an Oregon guy, but he doesn't seem like an innovator. You know, like he's not going to be, he's not flashy. He's not innovator. Taggart was a little bit. He, he was flashy. He loved the gear. I think he wore like a $700 pair of shoes on the sidelines for one of the games this year, which, you know, <laughs> amateur athletics folks. Yeah. Um, but but he he had that piece to it. He just didn't have the continuity. His staff was all Florida guys who you know were built to recruit the state of Florida, not you know. So he had the innovation, but not the continuity. You know, Wilcox would I think be a, a continuity play, but I don't see the innovation. Now maybe Baldwin would have that. You know, someone like you said is is a proven commodity in terms of a, a successful head coach, but is he? innovative and he's certainly not continuity when it comes to Oregon, you know? So I, I, I guess that's where I'm struggling to reconcile like who the good candidates are for them that have the best chance of, you know, and let's be honest, neither of you, you nor I want them to get this right since we're Husky fans. But, but that's where I'm looking at is like, who is it that they are considering that would be in the best position to do what the prior, you know, group before them had done. Yeah, and I agree that I guess that name isn't extremely there right now. It looks like, uh, yeah, I mean, it could be Cristobal, who at least has been there, uh, who's supposedly an ace recruiter. Uh, Levitt, possibly, yeah, Wilcox, someone, who knows? Who honestly knows? Hmm. All right, yeah, so they're, they're, they're in a spot. And then to add to that, uh, to get into the bowl games, uh, they have the first bowl game. They, uh, they, uh, we're recording this on the night of December 6th. They play a game on December 16th, you know, a nine days after, you know, when they wake up tomorrow in nine days, they'll play a bowl game. So like it's probably on, better for them, right. To get it over with. I mean, get the kids back on the field, get them playing, and get the game over with, and let and figure out what what next year is going to look like. Um, that probably is actually good for them. I think. I, I just think they're pro. You're in a real dangerous spot right now if you're Oregon, right? Because whatever happens next year, this will be uh, 
the third coach in three years, third yep. coordinators probably in three years. Yep. Recruits being recruited under Helfrich, recruits being recruited under Taggart, and now recruits coming in under somebody else. All three are different coaches with different ideas of what they want to do. So there's no continuity in terms of, you know, I need this type of guy at this position and that's who I'm recruiting. You, you get to campus and you hope you have that if you're the new coach, but you, you haven't recruited the guys who are there already. Um, it, it, you know, if they make a mistake on this hire, they could set themselves back 10 years the way that Washington did. Yeah, and then and and that's compounded uh, with the early bowl game with also two weeks from today, I believe is the early signing period for recruits. Uh, to contrast them with Washington, who, you know, they are big rivals, is that my expectation based on Chris Peterson's recruiting style is that 90-plus uh, percent of Washington's commits are going to come in and sign on the 20th. And yeah. Oregon are going to be trying to figure out who's recruiting who. Expect a lot of that to go through to the traditional signing day, and they hold on to whatever on earth they can hold on to. Yeah, but again, it's it's going to be just they're going to be holding on to whatever. There's no con no continuity. Yeah, there's that. There is there's not enough time for somebody to go through and evaluate based on whatever scheme they want to run. They have to say, well, we got to I guess trust the evaluation we already have, and then and honestly, maybe as simple as well, the internet, the people that follow this say that this guy's a good player and he appears to still want to go here, so we'll take him. Yeah, you just got to get as much talent to campus as you can, and then figure it out later. Where, where you're going to play that talent and how you're going to make it the most effective that you can. I, I don't know, man. It's it's interesting times there. I, as I, I think maybe you pointed out, maybe somebody else, uh, maybe it was Chip that pointed out earlier today that, you know, in the last three coaching hires, Phil Knight really hasn't opened his wallet the way that, you know, Oregon fans, I think, sort of assume that he would um, and haven't brought in that big name. It'll be interesting to see if he finally just does that this time and goes that six, seven million a year route to bring in a, you know, to bring in some wild card because I can't imagine he's sitting at home looking at the co- the prospect of, you know, Levitt, Cristobal, um, Wilcox, and you know, someone maybe, and thinking, yeah, well, that's definitely the fast track back to prominence. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does. Uh, in the meantime, I hope Washington takes their best recruit and um, that we win many games while they're, you know, trying to figure out how to to get. Chip Kelly's, you know, magic back. Yeah, it's it's funny how it goes where, like, all of a sudden you were winning everything and then, you know, I mean, there's a there's a, a reasonable possibility that this spins out in a way where a couple few years from now Oregon's going to be very excited to win six or seven games and go to a bowl because things will start to, you know, it'll be that kind of mirage in the desert where things look like they're finally starting to turn around it's just you know it's, it's college football it's a cycle that was this year right i mean they yeah. were super excited to get to seven wins and and because last year they they missed bowl you know missed bowl season and they had to fire Helfrich, and it was sort of like a cleansing of the old guard you know tiger came in with all the hype but you know and then you know they got to bowl eligibility this year and it was a big deal and they're, they're like we're almost back and now they're starting over again you know, listen. It's a good. It's a good program. They're they've got good facilities. They set the bar with a lot of that stuff. But if if you don't have your act together and you're not organized and your opponents are, and right now Washington, Washington State, Stanford are all organized. Now maybe Leach leaves WSU and that changes. You know, it seems like he's kind of playing that. You know, playing with that idea. But 
Stanford and Washington, at least for now, appear poised to continue being good. Um, if you're not in that on the same page, you're you're going to get left behind until you figure it out. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's take Oregon into the Las Vegas Bowl here on the 16th of December to start off bowl season for the Pac-12. They are facing Boise State. Uh, Oregon are seven and a half point favorites in this game. And I I think uh, the wrong team is favored. I don't think Oregon really has any great wins this year. And I don't think that they have any reason to really care about this bowl game. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the coach that's coaching them next year isn't going to be coaching this game. Uh, for guys like Royce Freeman, you know, he's got the NFL on his mind. I he, wouldn't he, he, he shouldn't even play. He should not play in this game. I, I, I'm surprised that hasn't been announced already that he's sitting it out. But um, he can. Know, he uh, is a he's a phone call away from being able to take a check from somebody. And if he hasn't already, like if I again, if I was him, I would be in Phoenix right now at one of those prep academies. You know, doing the you know those personal training academies or whatever that all the. First yeah. round picks go to to get ready for the draft. Yeah, trying to get that forty down to as close to four or five as he can. Yeah, it's silly for him to be in in practice still. Uh, so you're, I, I agree with you. At Boise State, this is their bowl. They go to the same one every year. Um, they have, they do have something to play for in in as much as they want to beat a Pac-12 team anytime they get the chance. Um, I, I think that they are they are the team that will win this game. Yep. All right, uh, next up we have uh, Zaxby's, Heart of Dallas Bowl. Washington played there a couple years ago. Uh, Utah is playing West Virginia. Uh, and Utah are seven-point favorites in this game. Utah, who were, what, five and six, had the win against Colorado to get to six and six. I'll confess, here's what I know about West Virginia. Nothing. They're seven and five. That's what the computer tells me. I think they were there was expectations early in the year, and then it sort of fell apart on on old Dana Holgerson out there. Well, here are their uh, losses uh, to a ranked Virginia Tech team, to a ranked TCU team, to a ranked Oklahoma State team, uh, to Texas, which is a bad one, and then at a ranked college football playoff Oklahoma team. So, with wins over a plucky Iowa State team uh, versus a Texas Tech team that was ranked at the time. Uh, so, I mean, that certainly a more impressive resume than I'd say Utah has. What's the line? Uh, West Virginia are underdogs somehow. No, give me West Virginia. Yeah. Give me the nears. That doesn't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, the thing is with these out of conference games is that I like really kind of solely watch PAC 12 football. You know, like I watch the Iron Bowl or a game like that, you know, but largely my college football is left to that, uh, to this conference. So, I, don't, I mean, they could have some injury trouble that I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm thinking they're the team that has that Will Greer at quarterback, right? Yeah. Uh, and I know he had hurt his finger recently, but I think I'm assuming that is something that can be fixed in a month, a little dislocated fingy. Uh, so, yeah, give me the nears. There you go. All right. Uh, next up, Cactus Bowl. Where do they play the Cactus Bowl? In a cactus, I believe. Inside a cactus. At Chase Field at a baseball stadium in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, <laughs> just a, it kind of, a good place for UCLA to go play football. Because when it's happening, you'll be like, why is this happening? Uh, Kansas State are two and a half point favorites. We've got the 
you won't say ageless because he's very old. Bill Snyder, uh, Kansas State team, coming against the UCLA team that is in a coaching transition. The last ride for Josh Rosen, but Kansas State are the favorites in this game. UCLA tough to really pin down, you know, because that you know I I thought for all they were going to roll over, they were just going to roll over in that game against Cal, and they didn't. They took care of business. Uh, I don't know, but here's here's something I do want to say about UCLA, a guy that I have neglected to talk about this year, but I've been noticing, especially the last few weeks when I watch UCLA, is their receiver Jordan Lasley. Uh, yeah. uh, number one target for Josh Rosen. That guy is really, really a special player, and I wish I'd talked about him more. I mean, he's a he's a very good Pac-12 receiver. Uh, re- reminds me of like a Kenny Lawler uh, from Cal. You know, like the type of guy where you just like, yeah. If you if you're paying attention, you watch a few of these games, you'll be like, God, this guy's kind of a killer. You know, this, this guy's a really, really effective player. So uh, I think I know he's had over 200 yards in a couple games this year, or at least one game this year, but. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure I said his name before this season was over. In case anybody goes back and says, how are you Pac-12 podcast? And you never even talked about this guy. Yeah. Cause, cause we're all about being held accountable for this podcast that we do. That's right. Um, you know, you know how Royce Freeman should be in Phoenix training for the NFL draft when this bowl is played. Yeah. Like, he should probably take the night off and come watch this game. Um, I'm sure he can get sideline passes and uh, Josh Rosen should be standing right next to him. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's been kind of weird, uh, thing this year that like in a couple games you have Josh Rosen, uh, has been exiting games pretty early, uh, in, you know, in situations where it doesn't really look like, you know, like uh, let's say questionable injuries, you know? Yeah. It's hard to think that he's going to be super engaged in this game given just the same as Royce Freeman. He's got a lot on the line for the upcoming draft and the game is relatively meaningless in a bowl that nobody went to, you know, when they committed out of high school, they did not commit to their school of choice in, with hopes of playing in this bowl game someday. Um, so I'm going to continue my streak of picking non-Pac-12 teams and take Kansas State. Um... Yeah, I'll take Kansas State also. I don't understand how Josh Rosen ends up as your second team all Pac-12 quarterback with 26 touchdowns on the year. I mean, I guess you'd have to say down year for quarterback play, you know, because like going into the year, you'd say, you know, pencil him in for at least 35. Did the Khalil Tates get it? Um, Khalil Tate. Yeah, I mean, there's that's the crime right there. He's an honorable mention. I mean, it's like I've, Sam Darnold, number one. Yeah, that's fine. He was a bit, you know, he's the quarterback on the best team. I don't have a problem with that. Khalil Tate, as an honorable mention, as the most electric college football player in the country, uh, who absolutely demonstrably changed the course of Arizona's season. Like, if they, if they don't have him, they're not playing in any bowl game. No. Yeah, I, I don't know how they do that. It, it seems nonsensical to me, but... Yeah, so, I don't know, man. I mean, I guess they just, like, you want to get him up on the list to... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the politics are there. But, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I'll take... I'll take Kansas State in this game. All right. All right. Uh, we're really... Uh, let's burn through these terrible games. Foster Farms. Khalil Tate. 
versus Purdue, a Purdue team coached by Jeff Brom, who's been uh, linked with some some deals, linked linked with some potential moves. A guy that, uh, but I think he might have signed an extension. I think uh, nobody's been able to pry him away from his six and six Purdue team. I think it's his first year there. I believe he was at Western Kentucky. Did he replace Willie Taggart at Western Kentucky? I don't that's, know. That's a possibility. I mean, it's pretty close in time. You know, it's only been yeah. a few years. Certainly uh, could be. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's like kind of, I, I believe he was, was he the guy that was quarterback at Louisville like 10 years ago or something like that? Could be. I don't know. Yeah. Jeff Brom, Brian Brom, who knows? He's not going to get any information out of me out of this Brom character. Uh, he played college football at the University of Louisville, but it's, he's not the Brom I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about his brother, I suppose, Brian Brom. Uh, because he played uh, back when Herm Edwards uh, coached college football. Um, So there you go. That's what you learned about that. Uh, No line in this game. I guess... You need Khalil Tate. Yeah, I'll take Khalil Tate also. I like it. I was looking on the the ESPN Insider, which I don't consult for my picks, but... um, it seems to be pretty even. They slightly favor Purdue, so I like an, an underdog. Who knows? You know, who knows? The yeah. thing is, like with these games, it's like I'm trying to figure out who cares. You know, like and on these games, I don't know. Like Purdue, maybe I'll I'll take Purdue in this game. I'm going to say they're more excited to be in this bowl game than Arizona is. I'll go against Purdue. Uh, I, I think Arizona's fired up for it. They were supposed to have a bad year this year. They weren't supposed to be a bowl team. They get to go to the bowl. They get to stay on the West Coast. They don't have to travel. And I think the Big Ten, if we've seen anything about watching the Big Ten, Big Ten did not have a win over a ranked team this year in non-conference. All of the Big Ten's best wins are against each other. So I think secretly we may be looking at a not-that-great Big Ten. So I'm, I'm taking the Khalil Tates. You've talked me back into Arizona, and I have flipped for a second time. That's the sign of a confident man picking games. That's why. That's the kind of fire I bring that got me to exactly 500 on the season picking games. There you go. I have no idea. Uh Next up, we have an Alamo Bowl. How's this for an Alamo Bowl matchup? We have Stanford. Stanford, at the end of the day, end up 9-4 and four, uh, against TCU team that uh, may be hard luck to not be uh, among the New Year's Six games, but you know the their loss against Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game was enough to bump them out of consideration for that in the eyes of the venerable committee. Uh, and so we have a TCU team that are two-and-a-half-point favorites against Stanford. Uh, and, uh, Bryce Love now mercifully finally gets like a month to get healthy. Uh, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, Bryce Love. Bryce Love, who he hasn't looked like he's been able to walk for two months, uh, is 27 yards short of 2,000 on the season. What, I mean, what a season this guy had. This is a tough call because, I mean, on its face, I want to say TCU, but I, I've underestimated Stanford all year, so I'm not going to do it this time. I'm taking Stanford. Yeah, I'm going to take Stanford in this game also. I've been impressed by them. And this is like – what I like about this game is that uh, it's uh, – this is – I mean, this – it can't be better than this for non-New Year's Six Bowl games. I mean, this is really a, a very premier matchup. And the Alamo Bowl, I've – uh, I I think it's pretty crummy that this game that is played before the new year is the default second Pac-12 bowl game 
unless you have a situation like this year where two teams are able to crack the kind of the, the bigger, you know, the old BCS games. Uh, but, you know, I mean, really, you, you do end up with some good matchups there when you get like a, a second place Big 12 team and a second place Pac-12 team. I think they just play this game at the wrong time, but I guess that's just how it works out for TV. But, yeah, I, don't, I mean, this is a really, really good bowl game. And I, I agree with you. I'm going to take Stanford in this game, even though they lost against USC. Again, could could have won. Could have won. Could have won, won, maybe should have won. This is a great This is a great bowl game. I have a deep affinity uh, for San Antonio, so having grown up there. Um, and you're right, this game should get more hype than it does, but it, it generally has good good matchups, and I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. I mean, just in terms of pure entertainment, that Washington-Baylor game from the Robert Griffin game where Washington blew a gigantic lead was one of the most entertaining no-defense college football games I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Holiday Bowl. The ceiling for the Washington State Cougars that they cannot seem to crack, uh, but a good bowl game. A game that I still hold in higher esteem than the Alamo Bowl because it used to be the second-place Pac-12 game, which is also kind of a crummy game. But yeah. I still like it. Uh, Washington State playing against Michigan State. Here's a game I'm excited about, you know. Uh, Washington State are three-point favorites in this game. A Michigan State team that was, I believe they were able to beat Michigan this year. Uh, they had had a really poor season last year, and they bounced back, and they end up with nine wins. These two teams with nine wins looking to get to double-digit wins in what would be a very, very successful season. Michigan State's losses are... Uh, lost to Notre Dame at home and lost pretty handily. Lost at a good Northwestern team, you know, like a solid little Big Ten Northwestern team, and then lost, and it got <clears throat> demolished by Ohio State. Best win, Michigan. And they won at home against Penn State also. I don't like the, the juice around WSU's program right now. First that's, of all... That's how I feel also. WSU played in the Holiday Bowl last year and lost to a like coachless Minnesota team, a coachless that, and a lot, uh, really uh, missing a lot of significant players. Minnesota yeah. team, one of the worst bowl no shows in recent memory. Yeah, a team that tried to boycott the bowl before essentially being, I don't know, blackmailed or some some convinced, let's say, back into playing the game, and then they showed up and beat WSU. I mean, just embarrassing, um, inexplicable. And, and so it wasn't that long ago that WSU lost inexplicably lost to was that Colorado state in that bowl game where they gave up a huge lead in the last like two minutes. So the bowl, the bowl game experience under Mike Leach hasn't been great to begin with. Yeah. They did um, with the, with the exception of that weird, the snowy game in El Paso where they beat Miami. Yes. Yes. You're right. The, but, but Leach is, is doing Leach things right now. He's, he's, Interviewing for other jobs, he's you know Isaiah uh, Mac Johnson or Johnson Mac wants to transfer to be closer to his kids. Leach has uh, you know denied his request to transfer. Like, what kind of a dick does that? Um, you know, and now of course he's going to get badgered back into it. But it's still like that. His first inclination when uh, one of his kids comes to him and says, "I have uh, two small children." Actually, I guess he's twenty years old. He has a two-year-old and a three-year-old. Yeah. Um, I have two small kids. I'm from the state of Florida. I would like to, to transfer the home to be closer to them. And this guy's freaking response is to deny the transfer request. Like Mike, 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 don't be an idiot. 
Um, yeah, this that, this only looks like shit for you. There's no and and there's no good reason for it. Like even even I, I can't even think of a, of a of a reason he could give that would possibly justify it. Like other than I'm just a jerk. Like and that's not a good that's not a good a good thing to be at. So I I I have enjoyed the Cougs this year. They that USC win that they had at home is probably the best win in that program for the last you know five ten years. Um, and and they you know they they got a, a bunch of positive energy momentum going for them, but they no showed the Apple Cup again, and Leach is out looking for a better deal and not you know not his head's not where it's at and he's doing dumb stuff. I, I don't feel great about them in this bowl game. And Michigan State is not a team you want to show up and play like in a disorganized fashion. I think Michigan State wins. Yeah, I think so too. And then you want you want uh you know to circle back to what we talk about with Oregon. A, a team that uh, is a wondrous example of continuity because Michigan State in the spectrum of the Big Ten is kind of like a nothing team, but yeah. they've had the same coach forever. And when the other people fall down, that guy is there just trucking along. And they, I mean, they won a Rose Bowl within the last few years. Uh, they've, uh, you know, had the better of the rivalry with Michigan, uh, I think, since. Uh, D'Antoni, D'Antonio's been there. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, and that is crazy, you know, like to think about the, the, the relative stature of those two programs that, that guy is a, you know, I mean, Michigan state is a real, real example of the benefits of just keeping the same people there. Just people who are good, uh, who sometimes you say they have a year like last year where they aren't bowl eligible, uh, and things kind of fall apart. Nobody panics. They bring the same group back same coaches back and they're able to coach them up and all you know and they're a game against washington state away from being a double digit win team again just like that yep yeah i agree i agree with that i mean this one uh, i feel pretty strongly that michigan state's going to do well but who knows you know washington state if they're not playing washington they've shown the ability to beat anybody yeah anybody uh next up the sun bowl the sun bowl my favorite of the random pack 12 games i'm a sun bowl lover uh nc state is playing arizona state uh, and NC State appear to be six and a half point favorites in this game. NC State's coach uh, was Dave Doran was briefly involved in Tennessee's uh, coaching search to nowhere, uh, where there had been some negotiation. And uh, that Doran guy, I believe, is like twenty-seven and thirty in his career at NC State. Merely used the Tennessee opening to get more money for himself. Smart man. Yep, I appreciate that he played Tennessee like that. Uh, and I, I mean this, this Herm Edwards thing is so troublesome to me. I can't pick it. I can't pick ASU. Yeah, and the, and the other thing NC State has is like a very killer defensive line that yeah. I think is going to dominate this game. So give give me NC. I'm I'm exactly with you. Give me NC State. Alrighty. And next up, we're under the New Year's Six games. The first, both these games taking place in the current year. Yeah, which, true. which is so this, I mean, you know, they're, they're named about a new year, but it's really, they are still in this year. Uh, first one on the 29th, which will be the nightcap of that sun bowl, uh, USC and Ohio state. It's the Rose bowl, but it's not the Rose bowl. It's the cotton bowl. It's the Pac-12 champ. It's the big 10 champ. Uh, I mean, uh, in, in terms of tradition, I don't know if you can do better in any of the games this bowl season, you know? I mean, these are two 
primetime programs ranked in the top 10. Uh, Ohio State are seven-point favorites in this game. Interesting little game, a game I'm excited to watch. Yeah, the two New Year's Six games for the Pac-12 uh, feature two, like, kick-ass Rose Bowl matchups. You know? Yeah. Old-school, awesome Rose Bowl games would be USC and Ohio State, you know, Washington, Penn State. Um, I, I don't know what to make of this. Ohio State has gotten their doors blown off a couple times this year when they played really good teams. I made the statement earlier in, in, that I questioned whether or not the Big Ten's that great, so I'm going to stick with that, and I'm going to take USC in this game because I believe Ohio State, they got embarrassed last year in the playoff, you know, when they, when they played, stepped up and played Clemson. They got embarrassed this year when they played Oklahoma. They had a 31-point loss at Iowa, which makes no sense. And, you know, their marquee wins this year are against other Big Ten teams that turned out, you know, probably aren't that great. So all things being equal, I, I think USC, you know, played a tougher schedule, is, is as talented as Ohio State, and has a better, much better quarterback play. So give me the Trojans. I, I think that's a good pick uh, just uh, for the sole reason of giving myself an outside chance if I hit all six games in which I picked opposite of Dirty Worm, who's taking all Pac-12 in this bowl season. I could overcome him. And uh, I don't think Ohio State Island is a bad place to be. Uh, rare, yeah. is, rare is the game where USC lines up and on the other side of the ball sees their athletic equals. Uh Ohio State, uh, between Oklahoma and Michigan, uh, no, and no, maybe no. Penn State. No, 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 no. no. I'm no. not saying those teams are USC caliber, but I'm saying that like it's close. I'm saying Ohio State has played closer to that game this year than other teams with mixed results. But I'm saying that like this is. Uh, you know, this is a, it's a, what makes it a fun game is that it's a new it's it's an inner, you know, it's a new experience for both of these teams. Because like the, the what makes these teams so good is that in 95 percent of the games, they line up and they are so athletically superior to their opposition that like if they can just run their basic stuff, they're going to be very, very successful in this game. All of a sudden. You got to go out and play football. So uh, it's I mean, it's going to be compelling viewing. Uh, so I take Ohio State. I got you. All right. All right. And lastly, what a wonderful surprise it was when they were announcing these games uh, for Washington. The Huskies, who uh, fell off the college football playoff map with uh, by virtue of losses to Arizona State and Stanford. Uh, Washington, who went to the Apple Cup having no chance of playing in the Pac-12 title game. Uh, a team that at the start of the year... Uh, most of the season was college football playoff or bust. And I feel like that once it became clear that that wasn't uh, in the cards based on uh, the results uh, and kind of uh, lack of opportunity through games on the schedule, marquee games on the schedule that were going to vault them back into that discussion uh, felt to me, at least like a, a little bit of a failure, which is absurd, right? Because they end up going 10 and two uh, and they're, I think, justifiably where they ought to be in a major bowl game against a great opponent. And uh, if you're picking between Big Ten teams, I'd much rather play Penn State than Ohio State just because 
you're not just going to be overwhelmed athletically. This is a, a very winnable game against a Penn State team that was nearer the college football playoff conversation as the season went along before they lost to Michigan State. Um, this is, uh, I, I mean, this is a legitimately winnable game for Washington, and they're getting one and a half points. Yeah, I mean, I think with Washington, the hardest thing to do with the success, you know, Peterson had a breakout year last year, as I think, you know, a lot of people expected him to do eventually, just maybe not in his third season, but he had a breakout season, a ton of success. The hardest thing to do with success is to back it up, right? And so yeah. they played they played not great, you know, for a lot of the season. And like you said, I think once they were out of the playoff picture, they actually played better. They loose. They seemed to lighten up. They seemed to loosen up a little bit, um, and they played. And they played well. And they played like a team that deserves to be in a major bowl game. I'm a little bit jaded by the fact that I believe college football is all about money to the major players, and I believe that once the college football playoff committee, you know, made the decision that no Pac-12 team was even going to get consideration for the playoff, um, that they then sort of have to make it up to you on the backside, you know, which is to say, okay, there's no Pac-12 team in the playoff, but we'll put two teams in the New Year's Six games or whatever they're called um, so that you still, you know, so that you're still engaged. Same thing if you look at, you know, the Big Ten, right? You got – they got left out of the playoff too, but Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State certainly are going to nice bowl games um, as a sort of consolation prize. And it keeps everybody engaged. Yeah. So I guess the cynic in me sort of believes that Washington, as much as anything else, benefited from politics. Um, and I don't care really about that. I'm totally fine with it. Um, but, you know, be that as it may, I think it's deserved, you know, based on the fact that, again, they're 10 and 2. They're 12 and 2 last year, 22 and 4 in the last two seasons. They're establishing themselves as a college football blue blood program under Chris Peterson. And this is going to be a fantastic game. I am super excited for it. I have a large contingent of family members who attended Penn State, you know, going back into the early 1900s. My great-grandfather was an all-American lacrosse player at Penn State in the 1920s. Awesome. Um, Yeah, super cool. And I never knew that until, you know, very, very, very late in his life. He lived in his mid-90s, and he told me about it. And I was just like, that's friggin' awesome, man. Um, and so and you were uh, like, yeah. uh, uh, Jerry Sandusky raped kids. Those were your last words. Then. Yeah, we don't talk about that. Very much. <laughs> he, he, uh, died long before that really ever came to light. Um, but yeah, he, we, you know, he, my, my great grandfather lived in rural Pennsylvania most of his life. He wasn't yeah. like a super progressive guy. Um, but there was, you know, that's a cool, the, the Penn state connection in my family is, uh, runs deep. Um, and so I'm, I'm very excited for this and I'm with you. I, I mean, I'm picking Washington of course, because that's what we do. I, I, I honestly feel like, you know, Penn state got exposed a little bit in the back half of the year. Saquon Barkley got shut down in, in a couple of games and, and, you know, again, I don't feel like the big 10, established itself as, as vastly superior to the Pac-12. Uh, I, I look for Washington to win this game. I, I legitimately believe that's going to happen. Yeah, I agree with that also. The thing that excited me about it is that I'm watching a little bit of the previous stuff, and 
getting a better sense of who Saquon Barkley is because you just kind of know him from the other side of the country as an awesome running back, you know, Heisman contender. Uh, what I know, what, what they were saying uh, was that Saquon Barkley, his, uh, what he loves to do is bounce it outside. Uh, he likes to get up in the middle, make that cut outside, and then he's just got the juice to get past everybody. And to me, I, that immediately brought me back to last year's Stanford game against Christian McCaffrey, who was a similar type of runner and the one of the most cold-blooded game plans I've ever seen, which was just like, we're going to dedicate players whose job is to hold the edge, and their job is so much to hold the edge that when uh, Christian McCaffrey presents to them, they're not even going to try and tackle him. They're just going to direct him back to the linebackers. Uh, and it was... Sidney Jones did that over and over and over and over again, and it was beautiful. Yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, it was just it's just fun to watch something that has clearly been coached that you haven't seen other people try that was so effective. And I think you go right back to that defensive scheme, which they'll be able to because Washington, again, somehow uh, have avoided Pete Kwiatkowski and Jimmy Lake from being on anybody's coaching list despite – losing NFL players every year and bringing back better defenses every year. I, I, for the life of me, what is happening? I don't care. Who are these idiot search firms? Nope. <laughs> I don't know. Well, so don't I, I think, I think we've got a game plan that we've shown can counter this sort of thing. Uh, and we've shown an ability to implement it. Uh, and we have the world's greatest defensive coaching staff. So uh, I, I really like Washington's chances in this game and I'm, uh, excited to watch it. I mean, how great, you know, like if they're able to pull it off, how great would that be? And this game will be the 10 year anniversary of Chris Peterson, uh, in Boise state beating Oklahoma in the super trick play best bowl game ever played game, which was also that Fiesta Bowl. The fourth quarter of that game. It's insane that Boise state won that game. Oh, I remember I, 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 I think, I don't know what I was doing that day, but I was out and I had the game DVR'd. Because, God damn it, imagine a world where I am like, well, I'm going to be doing something else. I'll DVR this football game and watch it front to back. And also, this is pre-Twitter. I won't know what happened. And so I got home and my wife, uh, uh, I think fiance at the time or something like that. Uh, I think it was a year before we got married. But uh, she was saying that she was talking to one of her friends and that, that friend's husband was like, tell... Warren to watch the Boise state game, you know, or something like that. And I'd been watching through it and I'd kind of been fading out. Cause I was like, Oh, they had a good run, but they just threw the pick six and it was like over. And they were like, keep it on. And so I like went through made sure the overtime was recording. And then I just could not believe it. That was the most amazing game that has ever been. I, I still go back and watch the end of it on YouTube twice a year. It's nuts, man. Totally nuts. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, That'll be a wrap on picks for the year. Uh, real quick, let's uh, talk about Washington basketball. Played Kansas today. Ranked number two ranked in the country, Kansas, in Kansas City. A game that will probably inexplicably count as a neutral site game because it wasn't played at Fog Allen. But uh, that was Jayhawk country. Washington, terrible Washington basketball went down there. And what did they do? They won the first half. They won the second half. Which, if you're, you know, majored in math in college, you can figure out how that ended up. Um, they played great defense. 
They sustained the run, the inevitable Kansas run that they were going to make. They made clutch shots. They flat-out beat them, man. They flat-out beat the Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, that. I mean, this this was so out of left field that the entire time I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, my God, what a great effort by these guys. I don't care. You know, I mean, they're going to lose by 10 points, but who cares? What a – we're really on the right track. And then they just – and then all of a sudden it was like bang, bang, bang. And all of a sudden they were up by like 13 with like three minutes to go. And you're like, wait, they're actually going to win. Yeah. Oh, there, there was a crazy possession where UW's up 11 with like three minutes left to go in the game. You would think that at that point the game's mostly out of reach. But I would wager uh, if you could have uh, gotten to the core of most Husky fans, I think everybody was still under the assumption we were going to lose at that point. Yeah. Up 11 with three minutes to go. And – um, you know, there was a scramble for the ball. The shot clock was running out. Noah Dickerson got it on the ground, kicked it out to David Crisp, who played by far the best game he's ever played in a Husky uniform. Um, and he just cold-blooded hit an NBA range three-pointer as the shot clock expired, put Washington up 14 with two minutes and 45 seconds left. And I, I happened to be at my parents' house, uh, took my daughter over there this evening so they could, you know, hang out with her. She's um, very young still and they like to hang out with her. Um, and isn't that the truth? That's uh, you're in the real, the best age. Oh yeah. She's, she's four months. Like it's, they, you know, I, I just go over there and they, it's great. We have a good time. Um, and I just looked at my dad and I was like, we're going to win. Like, and it's the first time it dawned on either of us that that was actually going to be the outcome of the game. Yeah. God, how and, good is that? It was great. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I think when I'm done with this, I'm gonna watch the highlights of that game and uh, yeah. really enjoy. It's you know, it's always a great day to be a Washington Husky, but today especially so. Absolutely. All right. Uh, that does it for this week's episode of Eligible Receivers. Uh, we'll see. We're kind of about fifty-fifty on wrapping up bowl season in terms of this podcast, so this might be the last one for the year, or maybe we'll come back in January, uh, depending on what happens. We still have to figure out who's going to be coaching Oregon and if Mike Leach is still going to be coaching Washington State. What on earth is going to happen? Uh, but yeah, uh, I've very much enjoyed this season. I can't wait to do it again next year. Absolutely. Tenth year coming up next year. All right. Uh, for Eric, I'm Warren. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you again soon. Hopefully sooner than later. All right. Bye-bye.